0: all around me, so is Christmas hard to find? December snow is falling down like I am to my knees. I could use some hope right now, right now hope is hard to see.
1: good morning. Merry Christmas everybody. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, Special morning this morning. This is the first, it's going to be 11 more years before this takes place again where we get to celebrate Christmas on a Sunday morning. So stand up, turn to your neighbor, take some time. It's going to be 11 more years before you can do it again. Tell them Merry Christmas. Tell them you love them.
2: From Matthew chapter 1, very familiar passage this time of year, but it just simply says this And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. We get to celebrate this world-changing truth, life-changing truth, that our God loves us. When we could not get to him, he reached down, he came to us. Our only hope of rescue is what he did, and we celebrate that today. And not only is this Christmas morning, this is the last Sunday of 2022. And I want you just to think back over this past year, all that you've been through, all the ways you've been blessed, even up through all the struggles, how faithful God has been. I just think it'd be appropriate for us to spend this time praying, not only thanking him for his amazing plan to rescue us, but also to look back and just give thanks for all that God has done for us individually, for you as a family, for us as a church. There's so many things we have to be thankful for. And during this time, what I would encourage you to do, our altar is going to be open. Our praise team is going to sing in just a moment. If you would like to come down as a family or as individuals to pray around the altar, we invite you to do that. But if you're here with your family, I encourage you just to grab their hand or put your arm around them, and you pray for one another. And together as a family, give thanks to the Lord for all that he's done. Or maybe you're here with just some friends. There's so many things that we need to praise him for. So as our praise team leads us, you can come to the altar, or if you just want to gather as a family, I'll lead us in prayer in just a moment. grab your, friend, your neighbor's hand or your family's hand put an arm around your spouse and your children and together let's just thank God for his amazing plan to redeem us thank him for sending his son that we can celebrate that today that in his sovereign plan he sent his son to be the sacrifice for sin and our only hope thank him for his great love this year Thank him that his love never fails. And you think back over this year, how patient God has been with you. And thank him for his mercy and his grace for the many times he's forgiven and continues to do so. Thank him for how he's blessed your family. For our children and for our students, thank him for your moms and dads and grandparents. For blessing your life with them. Thank Him for how He's met every need that you've had. How He's provided and protected you. And for many who have gone through grief this year and maybe experiencing that now, thank Him for His faithfulness through the pain. And if you've lost a loved one, a friend, thank him for the promises of eternal life. Thank him for healing. Thank him for his presence and his strength. Lord, there is so much we have to be thankful for, and we give you all the praise and glory. Lord, we're here this morning because you have blessed us greatly. Lord, we're thankful for our salvation. We're thankful, God, that you love us and you work in us. You're continuing to change us and mold us and shape us into the image of your son. Thank you for the patience that you've shown us, your forgiveness. Lord, thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. And Lord, thank you that you're at work now. I pray that you continue to strengthen this congregation, each family, each individual, so that we may be a light for you as we look into this coming year. But, Lord, may this morning we give honor and glory to you for what you have done and you have done alone, for saving us, calling us. And, Lord, thank you for the privilege of being used in your great plan. May you be glorified today in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: you
4: years ago in the small town of Bethlehem one silent night loudly proclaimed God's love for the entire world for our all-powerful God came to earth in the form of a helpless child and though many people had waited for his coming few actually noticed this baby's arrival so much so that there was no room for him that night in the world which he had made. But still, he came. He who was divine became human. He traded in his heavenly seat for an earthly manger. He exchanged robes of splendor for swaddling clothes. He left the songs of a multitude of angels for the praises of a few humble shepherds. That night, though Jesus left his throne, he became our king. A king who came not to be served, but to serve. A king whose death Would bring us life. A king whose single sacrifice would serve as the ransom for us all. So, it's the paradox of Christmas that calls you to respond. Though there are presents still waiting for you to receive, this season is truly about the gift that you have already been given.
1: Thank you. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to stand with me and turn to Luke's Gospel. We're going to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. We want to thank you, Lord, for this day. <clears throat> Father, I pray that through the Holy Spirit and through your word, if anyone here today has never received Christ, that, Father, today would be their day of salvation. Father, I pray for the church those that you've called out and saved. Lord, I pray that we would look back on this past year, as Kevin reminded us, during prayer time and be thankful for what you've done for us. And Father, I pray that we would surrender our lives afresh and anew to your will for our life. And Lord, walk in victory because of the things that you're going to do in us and through us for your kingdom. And Father, I pray that this service will bring honor and glory to your name. And I pray that we would never, Father, ever take for granted our church, and the great privilege it is to meet together. Lord, as I think back over this past year, Lord, my thoughts go to baptisms. My thoughts go to seeing uh, members of this church minister to other members of this church during some of the darkest days of their lives. And Father, I'm honored to be the pastor of East Hills of Baptist Church. So, Father, I pray that we'd never take these times for granted. And thank you for allowing us to worship together. Thank you for this tremendous book that we're reading from right now. And, Lord, I pray that you be honored and glorified through all that's said and done. And we'll be careful to thank you for the things that you alone can do. And it's in the name of Jesus, I pray, and all of God's people said together. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Pray for my voice, if you will. How many of you can think back as a child and remember the greatest gift you ever received? Mine is easy. Okay, growing up in a single-parent home, I grew up like a lot of you guys did. You just didn't have a lot. So when you got a gift, you treasured it because uh, you knew that your parent put so much into that gift. And when I was growing up, if you had a bicycle, you were the king of the neighborhood, or one of the kings that was kind of like your status symbol, if you will. And I remember getting up on Christmas morning, myself and my brother had 10-speed bikes. I think it was a Swin. I'm not real sure. And I remember getting on my 10-speed, you know what I could do, I could ride it without hands. holding on, could anybody do that? You'd go down the road and you just do that right there. Okay, and I'd wave at my neighbors, you peasants, I would say, peasants. Look at my 10-speed bicycle. And my brother was, uh, he's not as smart as me much, but he was on this day. He put his 10-speed on the back porch. Okay, you know where I put mine? On the front porch. I wanted the whole neighborhood to see my 10-speed. This is a true, it's not Baptist preacher talk, it's a true story. And I remember getting up the next morning, got on my 10-speed and rode it. Well, guess what? The next day, I said, I want everybody that drives by to see my 10-speed. My brother put his on the back porch, and guess what? Somebody had stolen my 10-speed. Understand, I grew up in Hiddenites, so it was a common thing, right? And I prayed for that person, that God would kill them, okay? But I <laughs> since got saved, all right? But think about this. All the, all the great gifts that we can receive on this earth can be taken away, but no one can take away Jesus from you, right? Cancer can't take it away. Listen, financial hardships cannot take it away. Men and women, divorce cannot take it away. If you struggle with depression, which is very real, that cannot take your salvation away. Good times or bad times cannot take it away. So this morning, we're going to look at the very first Christmas. And notice this verse on the screen. I want you to think about the time. What a time it was, and it came to pass in those days. What God is saying is this, I'm about to do something, and it's the right time. When God does anything in your life, it's the right time. Think about this for a moment. If you're lost here this morning, okay, and you sense the Holy Spirit dealing with your heart, it's the right time. It is the right time to be saved. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, and God is dealing with your heart about some type of ministry, you don't have to do what I do, okay? That is the right, that's a God moment. That's a God thing. It just doesn't happen to everybody all the time. You know, when God called me to preach, it took me about five years to surrender to it. But I'm thankful I did, but God never let me leave, it never left me to surrender my life to ministry, Okay? It was just the right time. Think about when Jesus came. It was just the right time. Paul writing to the church at Galatia says this, But now, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law. Think about this commentary. That phrase, had fully come, is the very picturesque Greek expression. It speaks of something that is complete and fully developed like a ripe apple ready to be picked or like a pregnant woman feeling labor pains ready to deliver a baby. It describes the moment in history when all things were in place, when all the pieces were on the board, that one moment when the stage was perfectly set, at that moment, not earlier, not later, God sent forth his son. God's timing is perfect. We know that because we know the Bible. He's never early. He's never late. Spurgeon put it this way, there are no loose threads in the providence of God. The great clock of the universe keeps good time. This was a time of international peace. I like how one historian said during this time, he said, for only the second time in the history of the Roman Empire, the doors of the temple Janus, who was the god of war in Rome, were closed, meaning that the empire was not at war. They were experiencing the Pax Romana, the Roman peace was enforced which meant that the whole Mediterranean world was united under one government. Jesus came at a time of peace. He also came of a time of great transportation and travel. Roman, the Roman road system went everywhere. It went everywhere. The Bible, back then they would say all roads lead to Rome because the Roman roads were the best in the world. Many of them are still here to, to this day. And when, when the gospel started spreading, they used those Roman roads. It was a time of religious mayhem. One historian said this, Across the empire, the mystery religions were in decline. He said there were so many gods, little g, in ancient Greece, that one writer called Greece one large altar. And Judaism, Judaism was ripe for the Messiah to come. During those 400 silent years from the book of Malachi to the book of Luke, the Jews had migrated to every corner in the ancient world. And what they did was this. The Jews dispersed and they... Put up synagogues all over. If you went to any part of the Greco-Roman world and there was a a cluster of Jewish families, there was a synagogue. And then when Jesus rises from the dead and the disciples are saved and then they're scattered, where do they go? Paul always went to a synagogue. He, He witnessed to the Jews first and then to the Greeks. So God used those synagogues to really spread the gospel. It was a perfect time. And then after Christianity started growing and people moved out of their homes because they got too big, they started building their version of a synagogue called a church. Isn't it amazing? If the Jews hadn't been dispersed and synagogues hadn't been in place, this couldn't have happened. It was just, it was just the right time. Also, it was a day of moral decline. One scholar says this, The condition of the heathen world was deplorable. Even the Roman poets said as much. They saw the problem but were powerless to do anything about it. They knew the truth, at least part of it, but had no power to effect a lasting change. The result was gross superstition, debased immorality, widespread corruption, evil run amok, and rank unbelief. And the only answer from God with that is to send Jesus or to send judgment. And this is the world that Christ came into. Read Romans chapter 1. That is the world that Jesus came into. What a time it was! And then the second thing, think about this: what a book we have! Notice, verse two, <clears throat> Luke says this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. He's marking this, and I want you to know that this is a historical fact that took place. I say this all the time: we do not believe in fairy tales here, do we? This book is a historical book. Listen to this quote: I shared this. I shared this one. One time on a Wednesday night, I talked about talking to a university professor in the Department of History. And we're talking about ancient historical documents, ancient historical people. So in doing that, I brought up Jesus. And I said, how often do you teach about Jesus at your university? And this person said, we don't. And I said, you mean the person who, uh, the most influential person to ever live And you have more ancient historical documents, good ones, about his life, and you don't talk about Jesus? And this person said this, I don't know about all that. And this is what I said, listen. I said, you must write an extraordinarily number of people out of history to write Jesus of Nazareth out of history. The same measure that we know Julius Caesar existed, we have greatly more evidence that Jesus existed. MacArthur put it this way, we have thousands of New Testament letters preserved. The Old and New Testaments are best preserved, the best preserved ancient texts in history. We have texts of the gospel written closer in time to Jesus' life than we have for the Emperor Nero, who we accept as real based on texts written further from his life than the preserved gospel accounts from Jesus' life. He said, we accept Caesar's history of the Gallic Wars Though the copies we have are prints made around 900 years after Caesar's original. The Bible has been proven to be more historically and archaeologically accurate than any other ancient book. The Bible is the only ancient, well-organized, and authentic framework in which to fit all the facts of history. The Smithsonian Department of Archaeology says this, and they're not writing from a Christian perspective. They say much of the Bible, in particular the historical books of the Old Testament are as accurate are as accurate historical documents as any that we have from antiquity and are in fact more accurate than any of the Egyptian, Mesopotamian or Greek histories. These biblical records can be and are used as are other ancient documents in archaeological work. Historical events described in the book have actually took place and really existed. But think about this. But more than that, it's a spiritual book. Notice this picture on the screen. This is 63,000 cross-references in this book. 63,000. Think about it. Over 40 authors over 1,500 years on four continents write the Bible. I think a lot of people think that these people got in a room together and wrote a book. They didn't. It's amazing. And... Moses will write about, Jesus quotes it, 63,000 plus, maybe 65,000 cross-references in this book. It's amazing. And think about the prophecies that are fulfilled. When Jesus went to Bethlehem, that was Micah 5-2 being fulfilled. When, when one person said this, Only one person has fulfilled all the Old Testament messianic prophecies, and that's Jesus. From Genesis to Malachi, thousands of passages foretold of a servant king who would save us from our sin. When Jesus came, he fulfilled all 300 of those prophecies. Now, Peter Stoner, in his book Science Speaks, calculated that any man fulfilling some of those prophecies would be one in 10 to the 17th power. He said this, one man fulfilling just 48 of the 300 Old Testament prophecies the odds jump to one in 10 to the 157th power. He said, to show you how, how impossible that is, he said, if you would take a quarter or quarters and cover the state of Texas up to your knees, take one of the quarters and paint it red and hide it in the state of Texas, blindfold yourself and give yourself one chance to find that quarter, you have better odds of doing that than one person fulfilling all these prophecies and not being the Messiah. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. This book is a prophetic book, and Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies. The prophecies of Jesus, some were stated 4,000 years before he was born, some 1,500 years, some 1,000, many 500 to 700 years before he was even born. They prophesied where he would be born, when he would be born, what Jewish tribe he would be born from, how he would live, what he would say, what he would do, where and how he would die. even down to his wounds and what type of grave he would be in and the fact that he would resurrect. What a book that we have. Not only that, think about this, what a great mom and dad Jesus had. What a great mom and dad Jesus had. Notice the verse on the screen. It says this, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, as Micah 5:2 prophesied, because he was of the house and lineage of David. you got to pay taxes, amen? And Joseph had to go out of Nazareth to Bethlehem. Notice the next verse. It tells us why. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. She was a virgin. Look at that. Now think about this. We looked two weeks ago about how an angel, Gabriel, came to Mary and said, You're, you're favored in all the halls of heaven. You're favored on this earth. God has saw you and you found favor. You're going to have a child. You're going to give birth to the Messiah. You know what she said? Let it be to me as you say. Think about that. She surrendered to the Lord's will for her life to be pregnant and not even known a man. When Joseph found out, this is the type of man Joseph was. He was betrothed to be married to her. The Bible says he was going to put her away privately. He didn't want to embarrass her. But Joseph said, there's no way that you got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Now think about that for a moment. You would have reacted just like Joseph. But Joseph was going to put her away privately. Joseph was not going to cause drama in her life. Joseph was not going to put her down. In Joseph's mind, she, she was intimate with another man. Think about that. So he was going to put her away privately. What a man Joseph is. When I hear of how people break up today, I think, you guys are acting like children. I'm talking about grown adults. If your relationship don't make it, it just don't make it, right? Why do you gotta make it so hard? Joseph said, I'm gonna honor her anyway and put her away privately, what a man. And then an angel came to Joseph and said, this is what's gonna happen, and this is what happened. And Joseph himself surrendered to all the shame and heartache that was gonna come with that. Isn't that amazing? And he said, we have to go to Nazareth. Notice how far they traveled. We don't know how they traveled. Some people say a donkey. Some people say a camel. They probably just walked with a whole group of people. 70 miles they had to walk while she was pregnant. Okay, ladies, look at me. She was pregnant and walked 70 miles. You can mow your grass pregnant, amen? I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. (laughs) All right, 70 miles she walked. We don't know when she was about to give birth. But think about this, what great parents Jesus had. What great parents. The Bible says, all right, Mary understanding the type of life Jesus was, li- was going to live, she was at the cross when Jesus died. She was at the cross when Jesus died. None of her boys were there. Jesus had brothers. That's why Jesus on the cross looked at John and said, Take care of my mama. Don't nobody love you like your mama, do they? Think about that for a moment. And then think about this what a child that she gave birth. What, notice this verse, I'm sorry. The Bible says this, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, if you've been coming to church on uh, Wednesday nights, we notice this is kind of like the house that they were born in, something similar to this. It was not an in the inn like a hotel because Bethlehem probably only had about 100 people. And I like how Lee Strobel put it. He said, nobody would turn, nobody would turn a pregnant woman away so it's not like she went to a hotel and then nobody accepted her, okay? Probably what she did was went to somebody's home, a friend or a relative, and you see on the top, top floor there, you had three rooms, basically. One of them is a guest room, and that's what that word in means. It's Catalina, it means a guest room. And more than likely, there was no room there, so they had to sleep in one of the other rooms where there would be a manger or a, or a trough there. And in the, the basement of that place, which she may have been to, They had animals. As a matter of fact, Kevin Powell told me in the Ukraine they have homes now built where they have cows in the basement of their homes, and the floor is kind of slanted where all the waste can go, okay? And they'll get up in the morning, they just leave, don't they, Kevin? Then they just come back, right? Crazy animals. They'll just leave and then come back, okay? Because they know they're going to be somebody's T-bone steak, like it should be, amen? There is no room for them in the end. Now, notice the last thing here. Notice the Bible says that Jesus Christ... Is a Christ child. Think about what a child this is. When I, when I think about this verse on the screen, notice what it says, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Think about that for a moment. When I think about some of the wealthiest people that have ever walked the face of the earth, many of them are great philanthropists, Right? They give to great causes. They give a lot of their money. But none of them that I know of have become poor because of it. Jesus is the exception to the rule. It says, though he was rich. What does that mean? Though he was rich. I like how H.B. Charles put it. He said, to understand how Jesus was rich, you must understand when Jesus was rich. This verse affirms the preexistence of Christ. He was as old as his heavenly father and ages older than his earthly mother. Jesus is the eternal God. Jesus left heaven. That's how rich he was. Listen to how rich Jesus was. God was his father. The son of God was his title. Sovereignty was his throne. Glory was his wardrobe. Eternity was his watch. Heaven was his home. The world was his possession. Angels were his servants. The nations were his inheritance. And he left and he became poor. Now listen, the gospel is technically an unimprovable story. Nowhere else do we see someone so high descend to such depths to have a wider effect for a longer duration. God plums hell to save the world. You can't top that. He left heaven. In heaven, angels worshipped him. On earth, his own people did not receive him. Jesus gave up the free exercise and glorious benefits of equality with God, even though he did not stop being God. His poverty cannot be referred to as lack on earth. Now listen, one scholar said, if Jesus came to earth and lived as the richest man in history, it still would have been poverty in comparison to when he left what he left in heaven. The poverty of Christ is not about his financial status; it's about his incarnation and his crucifixion. See, the manger points to the cross. The manger points to the cross. In becoming flesh, Jesus became poor. The sacrifice of Jesus did not begin on the cross. It did not begin during his ministry. It did not even begin with his birth. It began in heaven. Paul says this, that Christ emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Nate's servant said this about the incarnation. He said, if we could just grasp the significance of the incarnation, the word sacrifice would disappear from our vocabulary. His poverty resulted in his crucifixion. This verse focuses on his crucifixion. And why did he do it? Notice, for your sake. The Bible says, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. For your sake, Christian For your sake, lost person, he became poor. Why did Jesus leave all that he had in heaven? So that you could become rich. Notice, for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become right or you might become rich, if you will. Rich spiritually. Matthew, Jesus asked this, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his own soul? Or what shall a man return Give in return for his soul. And what he's saying is this, you are poor without Christ. Albert Barnes said this, he who has an interest in the Redeemer has a possession that is of more value than all the princes can bestow. And he says this, what is better than amazing grace? What is better than forgiving sin? What is better than a clean conscience? Isn't that amazing? You know what Solomon said? The righteous have boldness. But the wicked flee when no one knocks. Isn't that amazing? Because your conscience is not clear. Only Jesus can give you a clean conscience. What is better than a new heart? What is better than true joy? What is better than spiritual peace? It's worth more than all the money in the world. You know, Harrison Ford was interviewed. They said he had more money than he could ever spend. And they said, What would you give up for all your wealth? He said, One night of peace. And you have it when you have Christ. What is better than eternal hope? Friends, you are rich in Jesus. Notice again, for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich in heaven, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Think about that for a moment. Uh, Let me get this water and I'll close. I don't know if many of you remember Chaplain Redding, who pastored at First Baptist for many years, but he was a chaplain at the prison. I remember him calling me one day, and he said, Jamie, there's a man here I'd love for you to come talk to. He's requesting a pastor. And I said, okay, no problem, because I'd been there before, right? I remember talking to an elderly man who was dying. He was a Christian. He just wanted somebody to pray with him. But it was a great, great time in, in that area where we got to pray. And when I went into the prison, Chaplain Redding said, this is a different guy. And I said, really? He said, Yes. And I noticed it was going to be a different guy when I, there were two guards there. They walked into the cell and handcuffed the guy to the bed. And they stayed in the cell with me, right? And Chaplain Redding told me before I went in, he said, I don't know of anybody at this prison that has more bad marks on their record than this guy. And I said, okay. And I I introduced myself, and then he introduced himself and told me his resume of all the things that he did. It's all bad. Right, and I just sitting there listening. I thought, man, how could you? How could one person do this to other people? Right. And he started talking about his kids. He said, "I don't know about my kids. Would you just? I just want somebody to pray for my kids." Right. And I said, "Yeah." And then he started talking again about how bad he was. Right, kind of bragging. And I said, "Let me ask you a question." I said, <clears throat> "Do you love anybody?" <laughs> he said, "No, I don't. I don't love anybody." He said, "I want my kids to do well. I don't even know them really." And I said, Has anybody ever loved you? Now listen, has anybody ever loved you in your life? It's a good question to ask. This is what he said. He said, No. And he said, Yep, my mama. And then he just stopped. The baddest dude in the prison just stopped. I said, Tell me about it. And he told me about his mother. Oh, she loved me unconditionally, she thought the best of me. I could always go home to mama. Right, he said, "Man, I miss my mom. I guess she died when he was younger." I felt, I felt a, a sense of sorrow for him. You know what I told him? I said, "Listen, don't you look me in the eyes here, sir." I said, "It sounds like you had a good mama." And I said this: Jesus Christ loves you more than your mama. I said, "He loves you so much more." I said, "Jesus knows all about you. There are no secrets with Jesus." And Jesus loves you and Jesus will save you if you'll call upon Jesus, amen. Friends, listen, he didn't get saved that day and I I don't know if he's saved now, I hope he is. But I wanna tell everyone over here, I don't know what you've done this past year. I don't know where you've been. I don't know who loves you or who don't love you, but Jesus Christ loves you. And for your sake, he was rich, but he became so poor on the cross. He died nude in front of his mama and bore. he died in your place. That's a picture of the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Now let me ask you a question this morning. Are you rich today or are you poor? I feel like I'm the richest man in the universe because I have Jesus. I feel like I'm the richest man in the universe because I have Jesus. And before Jesus, you could have gave me all the money in the world and I'd have been the poorest guy on the planet. So are you rich or are you poor? I don't want the musicians to come. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible says this clearly that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I would encourage you to receive the greatest gift ever offered to you on Christmas Day in the year 2022 and receive Christ today. It's not magic words that you say, it's your heart and you say, God, I need a savior and I ask you to save me. I believe in Jesus and today I'm trusting in Christ today. And then if you're here today and you're a Christian, think about this. Do you have regrets about this past year? Aren't you thankful that Jesus can forgive and cleanse if we confess our sins? He is faithful and just to cleanse us of all our sins. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. We're so thankful, Lord, for your word, for your grace, for your mercy. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus. Lord, we should feel like we're the richest people on the planet if we have Christ. It doesn't matter what, we, what kind of house we live in, what kind of car we drive, what kind of education we have. Those are important for other things. But the most important thing is that we are in Christ and we're heir to all the things that Christ has. Father, there's nothing on this planet that can give spiritual peace. There's nothing on this planet that can cleanse a guilty conscience. Father, there's nothing on this planet that can show us, Lord, your will for our lives, but Jesus. And Father, so on this Christmas day, we wanna thank you for Jesus. That even though he was rich, yet for our sakes, 2,000 years later, he became poor. That through our poverty, he might make us rich. Father, for our sakes, you made him who knew no sin to be sin, that, that we might stand in the righteousness of Christ. And Father, my prayer is if there's any person here this morning that has never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that you would save them for your honor and for your glory today. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people say together, amen. Thank you. Don't leave yet. I got one, one announcement to make, as you know. In the bulletin, we had a position open for a a part-time children's ministry director. And it's been unanimous through our paid personnel committee and our deacons that we um, hire on a part-time basis, Elizabeth Walker. And I'm gonna ask Elizabeth, where's Elizabeth? I can't talk and I can't see. If you guys will come up here, I'm gonna ask them to come up here and stand. Her husband's Adam, he's one of our deacons. And their children are Macy, Virginia, and Caroline. And I've known Adam when I was a youth pastor at Three Forks, knew him and his brother really well. Um, And I remember when Adam went to Liberty, I don't know if you know this or not, Elizabeth, the guys we played basketball with said, Adam met a girl and he's gonna get married. And I said, what can you tell me about her? And they said, well, she's a good Christian girl and she can beat him in basketball. And I said, well, who can't beat Adam? Everybody can beat Adam, that's no, no big accomplishment. But we are really happy to have you guys, really thankful. And I'm gonna ask you to stand with me, okay, if you will. And I'm going to pray as we dismiss, and then I would love for you to come up here and and thank uh, Elizabeth for her willingness to serve and also encourage her and Adam and her family this morning, okay? Father, once again, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you, Lord, for our church. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you, Lord, for um, the opportunity to fellowship together through your word and worship. And Father, I want to thank you for Elizabeth and for her willingness to surrender to your will for her life. And I pray that you would bless her and use her Lord, for your honor and for your glory. I want to thank you for Adam and Elizabeth, for the example they set for so many in our congregation. Lord, for their faithfulness here. Lord, to serve. Lord, they're already serving. And Father, I want to thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them. And Lord, I pray that this upcoming year would be the best year in the history of this church. And we want to thank you and praise you for it. And we love you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. A reminder that we